Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again, and I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with some lessons in gun safety. Move on to what the three stooges of the week were doing and follow all of that up with a review of Three Old Men and Classified Documents. Let's begin, shall we? I want to put out a trigger warning for the first segment of this show. We're going to have to have yet another conversation about gun violence because the last time we had this talk, apparently it didn't take. This week began with California drenched in blood, and while that is a line you'd expect from a D.C. character, I'm sad to say it is a new reality for many grieving California families. A mass shooting in Monterey Park, California, outside of Los Angeles. Ten dead. On top of that, an additional ten wounded. And what was supposed to be a night of celebration for the Lunar New Year instead turned into a massacre. The death toll growing. Eleven people killed and nine others injured. California's second mass shooting in 48 hours happened at two different agricultural locations just miles apart. Authorities say at the first scene, just before 2.30 p.m. Monday, four were killed, a fifth gunned down in critical condition. Minutes later, the gunman driving down the road and allegedly taking three more lives. So right now, everyone wants to know what's the motive? Why did these two men go on a shooting rampage? In the case of Half Moon Bay, the suspect is in custody So the odds of getting clarification on his motive seems pretty good. We'll probably find out why he opened fire on his co-workers. But Monterey, the shooter killed himself at the scene. So his motive is going to end up being a puzzle that we have to piece together. And while somebody else is going to get right on that, I would like to talk about how both of these shootings could have been prevented regardless of either killer's motive. Since we've had 33 mass shootings in 2023, and we're only in January, let's talk about 2020's gun murder tally, which was just under 20,000, and that's the highest since 1967. I think, folks, it's about time that we start talking about preventative measures like background checks and regulation of gun ownership, you know, just like the Founding Fathers intended when they said the right to bear arms would be well regulated in that first part of the Second Amendment that Republicans, the NRA, and militia cosplayers all conveniently ignore. But to be fair, let's first listen to House Republican from Texas and recipient of $3,000 in campaign contribution dollars from the NRA and the National Shooting Sports Foundation for his advocacy for people to be able to shoot guns. We're talking about Michael McCall. He's all glocked out with a plan on how to prevent more mass shootings going forward. The way I look at it is we need the intelligence. We need information sharing. We need to connect the dots. Every one of these cases, and I guarantee you're going to see it in this one as well, the shooter had warning signs along the way. We just didn't respond or pick it up. So uh, in my judgment, we could create a system. I introduced a bill that we could take public information on the Internet, have an algorithm to stop the threat before it happens. 
That is a smart approach rather than, you know, violating Second Amendment rights. Oh, I was with Mikey in the beginning when he was talking about sharing information and warning signs along the way. All of that just sounded so great until he diverged into some sci-fi bullshit about algorithms and tracking people online instead of just setting up a simple system like they have in Switzerland where a fourth of the population is heavily armed and they have zero gun violence. Almost. And before anyone in the back starts screaming about population differences between the United States and Switzerland, let me remind you, these Swiss have a two-year mandatory service obligation where they're taught to handle being invaded because the memory of the last invasion in 1798 is still fresh in their memory. So every Swiss citizen registers their guns even the ones they get from their favorite grandpa. Unlike in America, where we have gun shows. If you purchase or acquire a gun, you're not going to have to get a background check. But in Switzerland, that's a different story. You apply the permit from the police. You provide uh, clearance of your criminal record that you don't have any convictions. Wait for two weeks. If you can't be responsible of uh, following some other simple rules in society to behave, why should you have a gun? Exactly. The authorities in Switzerland look at your criminal and mental health background just to make sure you're not a loony and you never have been. That sounds like something maybe Michael McCall would support since he was going on and on about information sharing and warning signs along the way, but alas... McCall and his other NRA paid-for Republicans always add that bit about not infringing on Second Amendment right to privacy. And in that spirit, Republicans have made sure that the federal government is not able to keep a national gun registry, while also making gun ownership privacy way more important than preventing mass shootings on a state level. In other words, a gun's owner is more important than the person that is going to be killed by the gun. And the privacy of that gun owner surpasses the right to anyone's life, even though the right to life is mentioned in the U.S. Bill of Rights as inalienable. But, you know, who cares about that, right? And while we're discussing our right to life, one Virginia elementary school teacher is having to sue her employer for failing to protect her life when she was shot by a six-year-old student. Police in Virginia trying to figure out how a six-year-old got a hold of a loaded gun and shot his teacher. This happened inside of a first-grade classroom. The teacher, Abigail Zwerner, is now listed in stable condition after suffering life-threatening injuries from that shooting. Police say a six-year-old shot her with a handgun in a first-grade classroom Friday afternoon at Richnick Elementary School in Newport News. And hey, for those of you in the back... I don't want to hear the bullshit about responsible gun owners when we've got a six-year-old who can get one from home, bring it to school for a little show and shoot with their teacher. This story is crazy, but it's not crazy for the reason that you might think. Because sure, a six-year-old with a loaded pew-pew at school is absolutely bonkers. 
But what makes this story certifiable is that it was completely preventable. Abby's Warner, the victim, and a first grade teacher at Ricknick Elementary went to the school's administration at 11.15 a.m. She said that she suspected the soon-to-be shooter had a gun and would become a shooter, but they ignored her. Later, about 12.30 p.m., another teacher went to the administrators and said that the kid had the gun in his pocket, which the administrators thought was funny, I guess, because they said the child had, quote, little pockets and ignored that teacher. Then at 1 p.m., another teacher came to the administrators and told them the student had shown the gun to one of her students and threatened the child to pew-pew her if she told an adult, which she did, and which she was crying inconsolably, and the teacher was ignored by administration as well. And to add insult to negligence, a totally separate school employee offered to search for the handgun on the six-year-old in their book bag, on their person, but the administrator said that they would have to wait because the school day was almost over. And wouldn't you know it, within an hour of that conversation, the victim was then shot in the chest by the kid who really did have a pew-pew in his pockets. And of course, since the shooting, the assistant principal of Ricknick was, um, or rather resigned voluntarily, because I guess she realizes how incompetent she is, or maybe that she's legally liable. And the superintendent has gotten a pink slip as well, but I'm concerned about Abby. It seems like, though, Abby has decided to take the law into her own hands, and good for her. Lawyer Diana Toscano announcing today that her client, 25-year-old Abby Zwerner, plans to sue the school district. It's an alarming story that alleges the school district was totally apathetic towards students and teachers' concerns and failed to stop a preventable school shooting. She says school administrators were warned three times in the hours before she was shot. The student used a gun belonging to the child's mother. That family, though, insists that the gun had been safely secured. And see, here's where... <laughs> I don't want to hear about responsible gun owners. Okay, so... The parents want everyone to believe that the gun that they always keep safely stored inexplicably ended up in the hands of their six-year-old child who has behavioral problems. So how did the kid get the gun that was safely stored in the first place? Did he realize he didn't have enough money to hire Tom Cruise? So he watched Mission Impossible and propelled himself down to his parents' gun safe and then cracked it open like Army of Thieves style? Sounds more like these are dangerously negligent parents, as well as irresponsible gun owners, at least from what we know so far, which just goes to show you that the responsible gun owner myth is just an urban legend, but... It also has real-world consequences. In a broader sense, Abby's lawsuit is going to happen, which will set, hopefully, a new legal precedent in the debate of should we or shouldn't we when it comes to guns. May the outcome in this lawsuit be ever in Abby's favor. And now, folks, for something completely different. Let's start off this segment with some stupid people. First up, 
the former Scrotus turned not even close to a professional golf player who isn't afraid to bend the rules when it means winning his own tournament. And now, a dramatic reenactment of a post from Orange Vance himself on his knockoff Twitter website. A great honor to have won the Senior Club Championship at Trump International Golf Club, one of the best courses in the country in Palm Beach County, Florida. Competed against many fine golfers and was hitting the ball long and straight. The reason that I announced this on Fabulous Truth is that in a very real way, it serves as a physical exam, only much tougher. You need strength and stamina to win, and I have strength and stamina most others don't. You also need strength and stamina to govern. Okay, I'm just going to call bullshit. I know it's sussy whenever old drinks with two hands goes on and on about stamina. And this, my friends, is no exception. So it turns out Cheetah Woods told tournament players that while he missed the first day of the game, attending a funeral for a forgettable Fox personality named Diamond, he played a, quote, cracking round the day before the tournament began. So that put him five strokes ahead of everyone right out of the sand trap. Because, you know, when you own the golf course the tournament is being held, they let you do that. Grab them by the leaderboard. And moving right along, we have our next stupid person and soon to be performing as Starina in a capital revival of the birdcage, George Anthony DeVolder Zabrowski Santos. Whatever his name is, seems to be the House Republican's new it girl whose just-wanna-have-fun campaign donations attitude is garnishing quite a bit of attention. The disgraced and admitted liar New York Republican Congressman George Santos is now facing new questions about hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign contributions, which could violate federal election laws. He reportedly made a major revision to his 2022 campaign filings Tuesday. Santos now says that a $500,000 campaign loan did not come from his personal funds. Complaint filed with the Federal Election Commission shows dozens of campaign filings it calls impossible. During the campaign, Santos recorded 37 payments of exactly $199.99. The complaint alleges those filings were deliberate. Oh, no. The Republican's most proficient liar, besides Marlardo, apparently has a money problem. The man called Santos somehow got someone or someones to deposit a $500,000 loan to his campaign, which he now says, of course, didn't come from him, and he doesn't know where it came from. Meanwhile, whatever his name is, campaign treasurer Nancy Marks, the person who signed off on these FEC filings and would have a legal duty to make sure that the information provided in those filings was accurate, is now MIA. And considering the mess she's probably in, it doesn't surprise me that she's found a hidey spot on Long Island. Roll tape. She also signed off on Santos's expenses, which revealed an unusual spending pattern. 37 charges of $199.99, one cent below the threshold that requires an invoice or a receipt. Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. 
The federal campaign finance documents this woman signed off on as accurate had 37 separate charges of exactly $199.99 for things like office supplies, taxis, plane tickets, hotel stays, parking fees, food and drinks. And Nancy is going to sit here and say that it's not at all sussy that each one of these 37 charges for reimbursement to the campaign were not only $199.99 to be exact, but also conveniently one cent under the requirement to show proof of purchase. Come on, Nancy. You had one job, one job, and you blew it. Now you're on the lam, hiding from the press and hoping that the federal government really is run by stupid people because right now, anyone with basic math skills knows you're fucked. Because what you did comes with a federal prison sentence. Oh, and speaking of prison sentences, our next stupid person is straight out of the Kremlin, which is a problem because... He was working for the FBI at the time. The absolutely shocking arrest of former FBI agent Charles McGonigal. He served as head of counterintelligence for the FBI's New York office. Charles McGonigal faces charges related to violating Russian sanctions and money laundering. And he's facing five counts related to business dealings after he left the FBI in 2018 with a Russian oligarch named Oleg Deripaska, who he had some role in investigating while he was inside the FBI. Okay, this is bad, folks. We're talking about the former head of counterintelligence for the FBI's New York office, laundering rubles and using his knowledge on how our government works to help one of Putin's favorite rich guys evade U.S. sanctions. And why, you might ask? Well, because sanctions are bad for making rubles. But that's not all, folks. He accepted $225,000 in cash from a former Albanian intelligence official while he was serving in the FBI as a top counterintelligence agent. And the, uh, the indictment says that he failed to disclose that income on his financial disclosures, essentially hid a conflict of interest. Uh, at one point, he made this same person a confidential FBI source. Let's face it, this guy was a problem long before he did what he's being charged with. Charlie ran the investigation into Putin's favorite government secrets dump site, WikiLeaks. He also was put in charge of the investigation into whether or not Russia had helped Tangerine Palpatine's 2016 presidential campaign. And of course, Charlie's investigation found no connection. Doesn't surprise me that a double agent would come to that kind of conclusion when there is a plethora of reports that the NRA had received rubles from Putin, which they laundered by donating to Republicans' election and re-election campaigns in 2016. Household names you might recognize, like Bitch McConnell, Rand the Perm Paul, Ted the Dollar General Wolverine Cruz, and of course, Orange the Hut himself. But who wants to investigate all of that? Of course, not Charlie. And that Russian oligarch's name, Oleg Deripaska. Mm, that sounds so familiar. 
This is somebody who's been under FBI investigation in some way, shape, or form since the mid-2010s, whose visas were denied multiple times by U.S. officials based on the fact that he has significant ties, they believe, to Russian organized crime. Deripaska has been circling around, and this is an individual who works the way that a lot of oligarchs do. They seek to create influence and favor. This is somebody who's close to Vladimir Putin, and so this is somebody who is just knows his world of paying people to get things done Given Deripaska's ties to U.S. politics, he had significant business ties and, in fact, at one point sued former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort and Rick Gates. They did business together. Uh, this is somebody who's known his way around Washington, literally and figuratively, for quite some time. Oh, and that last bit, Deripaska having worked with and eventually sued Dolt 45's campaign manager and tech guru. <laughs> hey, I didn't think that this was going to come full circle, but... Here we are. So what does a former FBI counterintelligence chief, a Republican House rep with more aliases than a Brazilian drag queen, and the former Cheeto in chief all have in common? Why, it's Russian oligarchs and their rubles. And that's why now more than ever, we need to protect our national security. Classified documents and top-secret information must be kept in secure places to prevent them from getting into the wrong hands. Which is why we're going to move on to the latest in the newly renamed docuseries, Three Men and the Classified Documents. Because it seems there's a new member to the club. Let's please give a gallows-free welcome to Michael Richard the Dick Pence. Documents with classified markings were discovered in former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home. Roughly a dozen government documents. Pence's lawyer told the National Archives that the materials were discovered last week and handed over to the FBI. Sources tell CBS News that one of Pence's longtime aides found the documents. This is according to his attorney, who claims the documents were inadvertently boxed and taken to Pence's home. Of course, they came from the bulk of them, I'm told, from the Naval Observatory, where the vice president lives here in Washington, D.C. Following the reports about documents being found at the home of President Biden, the office of the former vice president, Mike Pence, did its own search. The Justice Department and FBI are conducting a review. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool for the FBI and the DOJ. I would like to stop for a moment and just smell that bullshit coming from Pence's camp when they told the National Archives that they just conducted a search for classified documents out of an abundance of caution. Because the only thing Mikey is known for doing out of an abundance of caution is not being in the same room with another woman if his wife isn't standing directly next to him. Oh, and there is that over-Botoxed face mask that he wore when he was asked by ABC News back in November of 2022 about whether or not he himself had classified documents just hanging around his Indiana home. Roll tape. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I did not. Um, do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. Ooh, that drawn out answer. <laughs> that was a tell that he was fishing for a lie. But perhaps knowing that those classified documents originally came from his DC office, 
Mikey may have been answering the reporter's question in the way that any good Christian would, by technically not lying. Like, perhaps the documents were at Pence's home at the time of the interview. Perhaps they were at the office in November of 2022. So, technically, Pence wasn't lying. (laughs) But then, ugh. There is that way that Pence went off on Biden for having classified documents locked in closets in his offices at Penn Center and then locked up next to his Corvette. Do you approve of how the Justice Department has handled this matter so far? No, I don't approve how the Justice Department has handled this matter, and I don't approve how they handled the matter of the classified documents found uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the handling of classified materials in the nation's secret is a very serious matter. Uh, and uh, as a former vice president of the United States, I, I, can, uh, I can speak from personal experience about the attention uh, that ought to be paid to those materials when you're in office uh, and after you leave office. And clearly, uh, that did not take place in this case. Oh, snap. Nothing fires up bland Ken over there like being able to get upset over someone else's shitty thing that you yourself have been doing. (laughs) Like coming out of the gate with your story about searching your own home out of an abundance of caution because Biden got caught with, and wouldn't you know it, there happens to be several boxes of classified and otherwise I really shouldn't have these materials that one of my aides just happened to find. (laughs) And it's a good thing I looked, right? No, it's more like your former aide who allegedly got fired for revealing this in the first place. I don't know. Just sounds like it might be true. Told you that you might want to figure out a way to get rid of your classified documents collection. So the aide had it boxed up, moved to your home, and it turns out that was a bad decision, huh? Hey, I am just spitballing here, but that story makes way more sense than Pence magically finding classified documents while he was just double-checking his house in Indiana when clearly he has stated multiple times to the press that he has never taken classified documents home. (laughs) Maybe Pence should be firing his attorney for coming up with such a stupid excuse for why classified documents were at his house. Because obviously... Pence took them while he was VP to his office in D.C., and then he moved them to his home where he eventually got caught with them. Oh, and let's not forget the current U.S. president and oldest man we know of who's had classified documents locked up alongside his 1967 Corvette for safekeeping, of course. Joe Biden has recently been caught with even more classified documents, bringing his current total from between 25 and 30, according to the latest counting by the FBI. Roll tape. ABC News has learned authorities spent nearly 13 hours on Friday combing through the president's Wilmington, Delaware home. The FBI uh, discovered six additional uh, classified documents. DOJ had full access to the president's home 
including personal handwritten notes, files, papers, binders, memorabilia, to-do lists, schedules, and reminders going back decades. DOJ took possession of materials it deemed within the scope of its inquiry, including six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate and some of which were from his tenure as vice president. So we know with Biden, classified documents were stashed in locked closets at the Penn Biden Center and several locations inside his Delaware home. That must be why super sleuths at the FBI have now decided to expand their search to basically anywhere Biden might have been between being a U.S. senator all those decades ago and Obama's VP. Because after all, four out of five locations where classified documents were discovered were his home. So there's no possible way there could be more there, right? And now with Milk White Pence joining the classified documents at home club, there's finally going to be some light shown on a problem that is apparently a lot bigger than these three amigos. The National Archives now wants all former presidents and vice presidents to check their personal records for anything marked classified. The past six administrations, dating back to Ronald Reagan, were asked by the National Archives on Thursday to recheck for classified material. Okay, this comes with good news and bad news. I can't hear you, so I'll give you the good news first. The good news is the National Archives is asking for everyone from the Reagan to the Biden administration to look at all locked closets, offices, garages, anywhere near a sports car in particular, and every single room in their private residences for classified documents, of course. The things that they took when they left office that they shouldn't have. The bad news is we now are going to find out just how many members of past administrations still have in their possession classified documents where they shouldn't be. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to lose my shit. And by that, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk. And unfortunately, with a lot of talk comes very little action. Because like I said before, this is probably a problem that wasn't a problem until King Insurrection took 320 classified documents to all three of his retirement facilities. Just another thing that Scrotus ruined for everyone else. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. Follow the show on social media to keep up with all of our latest posts This Week Again can be found on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, and Samsung Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen. And thank you for doing so. Ta-da for now.